Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I sample the new flavors of the White Claw Surf variety pack, explore vampiric deities in Griffin's God Complex, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're back. We're back, baby. Live again. Live. Zone of Truth 82. We got some great folks listening along at home live. Hello to all y'all. Thanks for joining us on another crazy Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Zod 82. Yeah, yeah. Say it ain't so. Well, you're just finishing something right now, it looks like, Griffin. What are you drinking? Yeah, I just finished off a Jotunheim Baltic Porter from the brewery Gamut, which is right by where we live. And it's an eight percenter. So, but it's my first drink of the day. Mm. Figured oh. I'd start myself off right. Starting late. So yeah, it's a late start. <laughs> it's for a me today. late start for me. Oh man, how you been, dude? You know, I've been doing. I've been living. Been living. Been going. Yeah, yep. it's been. Life has been busy, and life has been kind of hectic. But I'm happy to be uh, chilling, doing a doing a chill live zot. I see we got like drinks in front of us. We got uh, we got vampiric deities to talk about. So this is what I would consider to be our bread and butter. This is our bread and butter. This is. It. I was talking to Chris. We were working out yesterday, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was saying, "Yeah, yeah. pretty much have like a free weekend." <laughs> and he was like, "Do you?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah. It's kind. It's like the weekend before we recorded five episodes." Yeah. And this weekend, it's like I had a or I had a meet with uh, one of our patrons, and I yesterday night, and I have this. So I consider that a free weekend. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> pretty empty. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, compared to last weekend, that was crazy. We had five and then did a drunken disorderly. Yeah, we did drunken disorderly right after the five episodes. Yeah. That was... And a fast food disaster cheats that we cannot get into on this episode, because yeah, that's yeah. all we'll talk about for the next 75 it, minutes. It is. So we're not doing that. Anyway, Griffin, you got a free weekend. What have you been up to, man? I've been playing Elden Ring. I haven't been playing it as much as I wanted to, but I've logged a decent amount of time. I think I'm level 40 in it, and right now I'm building a... My build is kind of directionless, but it's predominantly decks and faith, so those are like stats in the game. Sure. And boy howdy, I was a little rusty in Soulsborne games. To start, I've definitely got my, my feet back under me, though. I'm right before Godric, so I'm kind of I'm leveled up a little bit high for Godric. I think Godric is like the, I believe he's like the main boss of the first area. I'm not quite sure. I try not to spoil myself too much on the bosses, but I have seen Godric. I've seen like videos of people fighting him, and so I'm heading into the boss of the first area. But dude, the open world in that game is so cool, and. It's a punishing game, but it's really fun. It's a skills-based RPG, like all of the Dark Souls games were, but this being a more open world and more fantasy-based, I think the story was at least co-wrote by George R.R. Martin, and it's got like a million anime references in it. What? Yeah, the creator of the game is a huge anime fan, so there's a ton of like Berserk references, and there's a, a lot of like 
the boss's uh, attacks and stuff are like literal anime moves. Like mm-hmm. there are swords in the game that let you do like very anime things like blink steps and stuff. And there's just some swords whose designs are literally like, this is straight out of Bleach. Like mm-hmm. this is a this is a sword for Bleach or this is, a, you know. So uh, I saw a dude made his character Zoro from One Piece, which, you know, I'm obviously still watching One Piece mm-hmm. in the middle of the Thriller Bark arc, which Yes, 100% is. Now that I've seen enough of it, my favorite arc so far, I absolutely love it. But they made Zoro from One Piece, and he's like got his two katanas, and unfortunately you can't like hold the katana in your mouth like Zoro, Zoro does. But the game's really cool. Again, it's one of those things where if you've never played a Soulsborne game, it's hard for me to recommend because I don't know how frustrated you get with video games. Do you think this would be a good entry point for someone trying to get into a Soulsborne I think it is and it isn't. I think it is okay. in the sense that it's not necessarily as difficult or punishing as some of the Dark Souls games have been. And it's more open world. I spend a lot of time like just exploring the world. And so I'm not encountering enemies all the time. But because of that, it's not super linear. And you end up in areas from exploring that are like way overpowered for you. And that can be frustrating. But I think where it's different than a normal Dark Souls or Bloodborne is that you can run up against the wall and instead of those games where you would have to just keep, you know, getting better yeah. to beat that boss because it's a linear game here, you can go do something somewhere else then. You can, if you're the kind of person that gets really frustrated at that stuff and wants to quit the game, where in a Dark Souls game, you might quit the game. In this game, you could just go the other direction on the map. You're free to do that. You can completely bypass these first bosses that I've fought. Oh, interesting. There's like, you know, there's side paths and stuff where you can just completely skip them. Hmm. So in that way, I think it's more accessible to new people. I think that the magic system is much better and more robust in this one because it's fantasy and it makes you feel pretty strong when you're like slinging spells. Magic's a little bit easier than going toe-to-toe in melee combat, so there's that as well. So I think, yeah, I think it's the best From Software game to enter into a From Software game. But by no means does that mean it's not frustrating or or easy. You got to know what you're getting yourself into, but sounds like at least it would be a good place to jump in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Plus there's co-op. I think that's really helpful. Okay. You can do everything you want to do completely co-op. The co-op items are accessed much earlier and they're like way more abundant. So you don't, you know, I could play with John. 100% 100% of the time if I wanted to. Nice. And he could help me through the game and he could fight the bosses with me. And when you get stuck on a boss, you can call in a multiplayer co-op person if you wanted to and they can like, oh, I'm level 80. I'm just going to like stop this guy for you so you can move on. Throw you a lifeline there. Cool. Haley, it looks like you were about to say something for a second. About to jump in. I just wanted to ask if it was couch co-op or only online. It is only online co-op. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's not couch co-op, unfortunately. I see. Okay. sorry you're out apparently all right so let me catch you up in some of the things that have been going on in my life since the last recording of the zone of truth a good buddy of mine eric you may have heard of him 10 lawn gnomes uh picked up some early access tickets now this is a week and a half ago now to see the batman on the biggest damn screen in columbus on wednesday the wednesday before it came out and some of this stuff coming from me, I understand if you would want to take it with a grain of salt, right? Like, if a new Star Wars product comes out, 
and I say it's the best thing in the world, you're going to be like, okay, he's talking out of his ass because he loves Star Wars. Same thing with any Twilight Robert adjacent Pat or Pattinson Robert Pattinson adjacent, adjacent product as well. This legitimately was a fucking masterpiece of a movie. It was pretty much everything that I wanted from a Batman film. You had this really interesting, well done take on the character. He's very broken and he is having difficulty telling Batman from Bruce Wayne parts of both bleed from one to the next. He's having a difficult time. We don't need to retread like seeing his parents get shot or him like get scared of a bat and realize that's what he wants his symbol to be. It just throws you in two years into his run as the Batman and it gets started right away because you already know the story. It's like a noir thriller. It's shot incredibly beautifully. The score is awesome. There are fabulous performances, not just from my boy, but from all the leaders in that film. Griffin, we gotta go. Yeah, yeah, I do have to see it. Is it true that I think Colin Farrell's a penguin in that, right? In heavy prosthesis, yeah. yeah and he's got, yeah. they've got a, a penguin series featuring him. Yes. That got greenlit as well as some sort of Arkham Asylum. The Arkham Asylum thing is what I'm most excited for, because that's like... yeah. Like that video game series is like the coolest take on the Batman universe that I've experienced. Cause I, you know, I love the Arkham Asylum, like aesthetic, the vibe, the- Those the, games like, are phenomenal. You know, the rogues gallery of the whole thing. I'm wondering if it will be close to the games or if it will just be a good opportunity for them to showcase a bunch of really interesting villains that probably wouldn't warrant their own movie. Mm -hmm. Like get Firefly in there for a few episodes or, I don't know, throw a fucking calendar man at him. I'm basically describing the plot of the show Gotham, which was a total guilty pleasure of mine for a while. But I think done by these folks, this is going to be an excellent series. Yeah. But I can't spend too much time talking about the Batman because, you know, I'll just get stuck in it. I got to talk about some of the other very important things in my life. I'm almost done with season three of True Blood. Okay. Very important. <laughs> very important. Mm -hmm. Vital, some would say. Um, I don't know that I'm really being captured by season three as much as I am seasons one and two. It seems like every episode is Bill doing something that makes Sookie mad. She says she's never going to get back with them. And then they're back together by the end of the episode. Rinse and repeat 12 times in a row. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, is she going to kiss Eric? I don't know. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> so uh, really looking forward to the next four seasons of that. But yeah, it's pretty standard scene mm -hmm. uh, through the series. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's every episode but in the future, but it's still pretty frequent. Yep, it's a good time. I do think I'll do the same thing that I did between two and three and take a season off to watch something else. I'm eyeing Peacemaker because I've heard really good things Yeah, about I want to watch Peacemaker too. And I know you were a big Doom Patrol fan. That's on my list Doom as Patrol well. is so good. It's on my list. Oh, you're not going to want to stop watching that if you start watching it though. <laughs> Brendan Fraser is phenomenal in that show. I, I've like, heard and it's things? just his voice for most of it. And then when he shows up in the show physically, it's so fucking good. All right. So good. I mean, Let, all, all the characters on that are really good. Last exceedingly important thing I need to talk about. I have finished the novel Breaking Dawn and am halfway through Life and Death. This is the gender flipped oh, reimagining of Twilight. Griffin, I'm fucking loving it. No, of course I am unironically having so much fun reading this book. This is the one that was described as a 
a, shameless, a shameless cash, ca cash grab. Yeah. I will go so far as to say, again, we've got a lot to get to today, so I can't spend too much time here, but... <laughs> Seems like you want to. <laughs> I think I understand romance novels now. What? I get it. You get it? <laughs> yes. No. Yes, I get it, Haley. I have it's a, high doubt. It's a genre that never appealed to me, and something is just clicking. I think I might be starting to get into romance novels because of Life and Death. If you it's mostly because a woman it. is actually pursuing Bo. Right, and it's told in the first person so I can pretend it's me. Yeah. Moving on. Ah, uh, okay, okay, I see you. It's because Bo doesn't really have to do anything, and mm -hmm. whatever. Strong female character, takes control of his life. What's, Check. Ed, what's Edward's female name? Edith. And, and, the, and Edith just, like, pursues. Boy, the butchering of the names, man. Jasper is Jessamine. Jessamine. Um, May as well have just gone Jezebel. Alice is... Oh, boy. Alex? Nope. Like it no, it's something... They're all pretty whack, but the worst massacre is Rosalie becomes royal. <laughs> That's bad. Okay, let's get to the actual content of this episode. We could talk about life and death in the post-show. All right. Griffin, thank you for joining me here today as we review the White Claw Surf Hard Seltzer. I'm going to read you some copy. Introducing White Claw Surf Hard Seltzer, a perfect collision of incredible flavors delivering waves of sensational refreshment like no other. That copy did not come off the White Claw website because these flavors are not on the White Claw website. That came off of Kroger.com. Holy shit. That's the only copy Maybe I could find. these are Kroger exclusive. Who knows, man? I didn't find these in the beer aisle. They were in the freezer section. Were not in the freezer themselves. 5%? Okay. So here's what we're dealing with today. These flavors are described as smash flavors. Now, distinctly... Is the scale smash or pass? I think you're going to like the scale. Okay. We'll get to the scale. I think you're really going to like it. So the taglines are, bring the wave, a collision of flavors, and sensational refreshment. There are three different taglines on the box. So, you know, set your expectations where, where you put them for that. These flavors are smashes, which are in the surf pack, and they are not surges. It's a different pack. Yes. Yeah, the branding is, is the all high, high branding's all over the fucking place. So am I le I'm led to believe then that these are all going to be a mashup, a smash up of two different flavors. Well, I'm not sure. Okay. Because we have four flavors here. Citrus Yuzu Smash. So you think that, what the, what's Yuzu? It is a type of citrus fruit. It's like, I've seen it more commonly in alcohols and in more of Japanese flavors. Is this saying like, it's a mashup between regular citrus yep. and Yuzu? Or that's, is it that's saying one, this like, is one it's of just the citrus ones. Yuzu? This is one of the ones. Where, it's just describing the Yuzu. Yes, I'm not sure how this is a smash. Okay. So moving on, then we have, like lemon lime, like, like right? Yes, yeah. that is a smash. Yeah. Then we have tropical pomelo smash. I don't yeah. know what a pomelo is. So I think that's just tropical pomelo is the flavor name. I think pomelo, pomelo is, is also a citrus. I have it on the screen. Oh here. fuck, we're gonna get this is gonna be a citrus heavy pack. That, I don't know if that, but I think White Claw does citrus well. But well, those first two are citrus, but then we got watermelon lime smash. That's still a citrus. At least, at least only half of it's citrus. Did you just try and use lime to discount? Wait, the is this an oops all citrus? No, it's not. It's not. No, because okay. yeah, there's a purple tab here. 
There's no way that's citrus. Wild berry acai smash. So we've got a real smash of smashes and not smashes here. Some of these are crossover flavors. Some of these just appear to be flavors that are non-conventional for the typical consumer here. Would you like to hear the rating scale? I would. Hold on. I need to see if they all have that. What are you looking for? The word smash? Is the no, word I smash I saw right an here. exclamation point on one of them. Oh, no. <laughs> uh -oh. That's always a bad sign. Yeah. Anyway, these are surf themed. So I thought, what was a formative surf memory in my childhood that we could make a rating scale off of? When I was very, very young, early grade school, a buddy of mine went to Jamaica for a family vacation and he came back and he brought back a souvenir for me. It was a mouse pad that had a very busty island girl on there. This is the most said, Midwestern surf memory yep. in existence. Yep. And it said, surf's up, get wet on it. And I was too young to know what that meant for a long time. Real comfortable mouse pad, though. Yep. So... Our rating scale will be on the Surf's Up Get Wet scale. Similar to the Bang Bus, this is a one to four. And each word from this formative memory uh, so like, of mine- This is just a Surf, yes. is like, that's a one out of four. Yes, a Surf's Up would be a two. A Surf's Up Get would oh, be boy. a three. I like Smash or Pass, but this is fine. <laughs> I guess this at least has four things. Are you excited for this, Pat Griffin? You know, I'll tell you right now, off of my initial impressions, I think the yuzu is going to be like the tangerine flavor, which was mm -hmm. kind of like a, you know, we liked it back when there were only like two flavor packs. Yeah. But later on, it was kind of like, okay, this is like a middle of the road flavor. I think we enjoyed the white claw watermelon in general. I think the... I think uh, that was a highlight. It was a highlight. I think the lime is just going to serve to make that worse. And I don't know what to think about the pomelo, but I know I like acai, so... I'm curious what they'll do with it because there aren't a ton of White Claw Berry flavors. Well, let's start there and work our way into Watermelon Lime, then Yuzu, then Pomelo. Save the real big question mark for the end. All right, that's on. Riddler style, question mark. The Batman. I know who the Riddler okay, is. Okay, just making sure. I'm gonna go ahead and... Oh, I'm sorry, you haven't seen Robert Pattinson's Batman, so let me explain the Riddler to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm bat-splaining to you. <laughs> let me Pattinsplain. I went back for two sips. All right. Well, mainly because I was laughing at the Riddler gag and didn't remember what it tasted like for my first sip. Yep. I'm pretty ready. Okay. Would you like to kick it off then? That's certainly a Surf's Up get. Mm. That's inoffensive entirely. It tastes pretty clean. It's not very strong in the flavor profile, but it honestly, they do acai as well as Mio does. It tastes just like the Mio Energy acai. But, oh, sure. But like not as strong because it's just a this would be a great one to do an energy beer if you wanted a Ooh. little caffeine in there toss Ooh. a Mio energy acai berry they taste the same this is just lighter than that that is a fantastic call I'm gonna give this a surf's up I got a little bit of a sour backlash on this thing that I wasn't really a fan of but I thought it was a totally serviceable seltzer I agree with a lot of what you said I definitely would pair this up with a little Mio to give me some energy make myself a little uh, at-home, exceedingly weak version of Four Loco, but you know. <laughs> These are my home locos. Home loco. All right, so I think we're pretty middle of the road on that one. A surf's up and a surf's up get respectively. 
Next up is the watermelon lime. Sounded like you had some pretty low expectations on that. Not low, just worried. I, I just think the lime's gonna ruin the watermelon, and we like the watermelon. Watermelon, which, I would give a surf's up yet wet. Yeah, it's so. it's one of their best flavors. Okay, I have tasted it. I just think lime is one of White Claw's worst flavors. I learned something new just now. Go ahead. I did not know that White Claw is owned by the same brand that owns Mike's Hard Lemonade. I also learned something new right now. <laughs> yeah, hmm. it's by the same brand. I had no idea. Well, guess I got to stop being on my high horse about not drinking Mike's Hard anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and start talking about this one, Griffin. I'm going to throw a surf's up get at this thing. I can't give it the four out of four, a full surf sup get wet, because I do think that the lime brings it down a little yeah. bit, but it does bring it down to a still serviceable level. I would drink a lot of those. Yeah. In my opinion, this completely took the wind out of watermelon sales. Really? Uh, this is a surf sup to me. I would still drink it. Watermelon is such a fantastic flavor, and this almost made it hard to distinguish the watermelon from the lime mm. which I was surprised by they're pretty distinctive flavors but in the middle there there's just kind of a sourness that's not anything yeah uh, and and it almost felt like it was again like like I said about the other one it's like watered down it just mm. it feels very faint compared to other white claw flavors sure nothing is offensive about the flavor not like regular lime fucking hate that flavor i would drink this all day it's just it's a huge downgrade from regular watermelon i think in a vacuum this is a pretty good seltzer when you know that there is a better just watermelon version out there yeah that's a kick in the seat and like white claws gotta expect to be judged by their other flavors like they have to expect their new flavors to be judged by their other flavors just like we judge the new bud light christmas pack based off of the absolutely you know it's just we're nothing on this rating show, but consistent. Yeah, I, I'm not going to maybe compare them to another watermelon. Like we just had the Bud Light watermelon sour. I'm probably not going to compare it to that, but I'll certainly compare it to their previous watermelon entry, which was by far the better seltzer. Well, keep in mind, they're very confidently releasing this summer themed pack in March and select progress. I don't know how confident if it's not on their website. <laughs> Like, I don't know if you got early access to this pack. So it's also on Drizzly, and like a bunch of people have reviewed it on Untapped, but it is not on their website. We should really start posting these ratings on Untapped. Ooh, yeah, we should. <laughs> we should not, have an HLP Untapped account. It's an Untapped market. Yeah, we can all log into it and all contribute to the one account. <laughs> That'd be good. Here comes Citrus Yuzu Smash. Surf's up. <laughs> okay. Time to get wet. <laughs> nope. <laughs> when you said time to get wet and I had already taken a sip, I knew you were in trouble. So I'm going to preface this with I'm not entirely sure I've had a ton of yuzu, if at all. Mm -hmm. So this might be doing justice to that flavor, and I just don't really like that flavor. To me, it has a weird botanical, almost gin-like quality that I don't really like. This tastes like a shitty margarita seltzer. You think? I think so. I think it has like hints of, maybe it's like the citrus going too far. It has hints of like pine or something in it. I don't really like it. Let me take a sip with that in mind. This is a surf to me. Clear worst in pack so far. Now that I got the, yeah, now that I got the pine on the brain, you're right. There is something 
botanical about it. Clearly also just a standard surf. It almost tastes like a gin tonic and lime. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you like gin, I guess it's not terrible, but you didn't rate it. We, we oh, I, I I will also give this a surf. Definitely. This was a, a bad seltzer. And then finally, we have the Tropical Pomelo Smash. Let's see what we're dealing with here. Oh, Pomelo. Ooh, this would go into our tropical category in the um, draft. Hmm. What the fuck? Wouldn't get drafted early. <laughs> what is that? I don't have a clue. So maybe they succeeded, but I couldn't tell you. What? It, it's like... Um, Do you think it's Pomelo? I don't know what Pomelo is supposed to taste like, but like... Who that knows? That has... Why can't I think of the seasoning? It has the taste of a seasoning. Seasoning? Yes. It's got like a weird hint of like a pizza sauce I've had. What? No. Yeah. There's a seasoning used in pizza sauce. <laughs> what are that you this has a hint of. That this has a hint of. It's got a hint of whatever they use in the cheap pizza sauce. Oregano? Maybe it's oregano, yeah. Ooh, boy, I don't know if I agree with you on that one. I'm tasting it. Okay. Yeah, this one's a surf. Yeah, that's, I that's mean, a if, it, if it needs to be said, this is a clear it. surf. They fucking blew it on that one. Wow. White Claw, really, I would say they're not hanging 10. They're hanging like a 2.5 on this pack in general. We should have done that system. That was. I think they're hanging good. too. I think Hanging they got a, they got a one one and then combined two and a half on the other two. Yeah. Oh. Like even less than that, because I did a three and you did a two and you did a two and I. You well, for converting to a hang ten scale. Oh, if you convert that to a hang it. ten scale, then they're hanging four. Yeah. Well, time to divide these. They're doing it one footed. Pretty shitty flavors. Up. I'm glad there's two pretty clear bottoms because I always feel bad when it's like, well, you like one these of- two. And you like- I think it's pretty clear you get the yes, watermelon. I get the watermelon. I get the SIE. Mm-hmm. And then um, I like gin more than you. Yeah, I'll you take the yuzu. Yuzu. I'll take oregano. Wow. I'll tell you what, Griffin. When I saw these, I really thought we were going to just have a real boring these all taste good segment. I thought we were going to be hanging ten. Oh, turns out Sometime. Turns out even the mighty white claw can fall sometimes. Yeah. Because I think they have the best variety pack out there in the variety pack three. That might be one of the best pack in did seltzer. You, did you see the controversy that a flavor in variety pack two was replaced with passion yes. fruits? What? And it's That's not lemon. That's on their website. And it's not lemon? No. I forgot which one it was. I just saw that lemon was still on the box and I was shocked. Uh, no, you hey, make a variety hey, pack four if you want passion fruit. Haley in the operator chair. Yeah. And you find out what was replaced. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <sighs> that's um, that's upsetting. Yeah. That's really really piss away a good thing you had going there. So let's see what was in it before. Variety pack two used to be watermelon, watermelon, tangerine, mango, mango and lemon. Mango's gone. They took mango out. But mango was the mango's in dipper. another yeah mango's yeah, in another that was pack, in one so, okay I'm I'm less Maybe. mad about that I think yeah so okay. that's the thing that they took mango you know because mango's, they... mango's in three that's what makes three such a oh, pack because yeah. three has the pineapple mango strawberry and blackberry hmm yeah 
that's the that's killer pack. Dominant. Yeah. All you have to do is switch blackberry for watermelon. You can't beat it with anything. All right. Well, this is a TTRPG podcast, so let's go talk about some of that stuff. <laughs> All right. Nerd. <laughs> Got to keep it moving. All right. Hey, guys. We're back doing the Griffin's God Complex segment. What is this segment? Basically, this is an opportunity for us to do a little bit of homework about some Pathfinder deities, look at maybe their stat blocks if they're provided, and then talk about them as well as their in real life companion, some inspiration for the deities themselves. This week, we are going to be flying through three. We're talking about the three prominent vampire deities in Pathfinder lore. So who are those? They are Zura, Lorcan, and Ruthvane. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Yeah, I don't know if it's Ruthvane or Ruithvane. Uh, yeah, there's a couple eyes in there. I think I'm, I was missing one. But based off of what I saw, I don't think we have anything statted out for any of the three of these. No, and, and it's a shame because we have two Infernal Dukes on this list and a Demon Lord, which are all able to be statted out as we've seen so it's a shame none of them have a specific stat block although you can consider all of them likely between cr 26 and 29 i believe is the standard stat block for this level of creature and it's doubly a shame because i would love to see a crazy high level vampire yeah i think that would be awesome but Alas, here we are. We do have some really cool Pathfinder lore, and I know I brought some good stuff from the real world as well. So, Griffin, do you want to start with any of these in particular? I figure we can go one for one. Yeah. I have a vastly varying amount of lore. I do too. And that's the funny thing. The one I have the most on, Mm -hmm. you have the least on. Yes. I think Zura has the least amount of real life stuff. Correct. And there's a ton on her in Pathfinder lore. And then uh, Lurkin and Ruth Vane have not so much Pathfinder lore, and there's a ton of lore on at least one of them in the real yes. world. Let's start with the easy one. Let's start with Lurkin, because neither of us have a ton on him. So when I started researching Lurkin, basically I found that that name means fierce one in Gaelic and apparently is a popular name for vampires in fiction because it is a cool sounding Gaelic name. I pulled two of the most prominent examples. We had Lorcan Fury. This is a character in a book series that I just found out about called Vampirates. Vampirates, nice. Guess I'm reading that after Twilight because that (laughs) sounds awesome. Don't know much about him, but his name's Lorcan, so that's cool. And then the other big exciting one is this other character, Lorcan. Now, this is a part vampire wizard singer that lives in the Harry Potter universe. My opinion on that series really has changed in the last several years. All of the not fictional stuff aside, sometimes... J.K. Rowling's naming gets so fucking lazy. Yeah, this character's yeah. name is Lorcan Death. D apostrophe E-A-T-H. And he's half vampire. Nice. So there you go. That's pretty cool. Apparently, he does not exist in either the books or the movies. He just appeared on her website at some point in canon. And the one fun fact about him is that He spent 19 weeks on the Wizard Top Billboard charts with the single Next to You and uh, Next spelled 
N-E-C-K-S. Ah, next. Yeah, so that's uh it's really something. Real bad boy, real Pete Steele vibes. Mm. That guy. No kidding. That's all I had on Lorkin, man. Not a lot. He just kind of shows up as vampires, and I think it's just coincidental because the name is cool sounding. Yeah. So he's uh, an infernal duke. He's which means he's a devil. And he shares the infernal kingdom of the Revenant Court in Malebolge with Ruth Vane, who we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of like fight each other because they both are worshipped by vampires. Oh, and they both kind of like fight each other for worshippers, for <laughs> for the faithful. So he's known as the Red Reply. He's obviously lawful evil, and his areas of concern are blood, rebirth, and undeath. His domains are evil, healing, law, and repose. I thought the healing was interesting for him, but he's also got resurrection as a subdomain, so that makes sense with the vampire thing. His favorite weapon is a short sword, and his symbol is a bloody bassinet, which is like a baby thing. And his sacred animal is a pelican, and his colors are red and white. He's got a following in Usulov, as you would suspect, since there are more vampires in Usulov than most other places in Galarian. And his cult is opposed by the esoteric order of the Palatine Eye. Nice. Aside from that, he does provide deific boons. He's obviously powerful enough to do that. So all Infernal Dukes kind of provide these boons. His are uh, Halt Undead, Control Undead, and True Resurrection. His obedience is to chew on pieces of undead flesh and gain a plus four profane bonus on saves against negative energy effects. So that's interesting because that's like a living boon. Yeah. Like it's a boon meant for the living. He has nothing in the Pathfinder lore about him being a vampire or anything. We'll find with the other two, there's certainly like, I found it hard to, to actually learn in his lore, like why just why he's worshipped by vampires other than like what his areas of concern are. Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I didn't realize it's not even explicitly said that he is or is not a vampire. He's a devil. So can't be like a devil with fangs or anything. He doesn't have vampiric origins is what I'll say. Wow. Interesting. So that was he's the only one of the three that doesn't. And I thought that was kind of weird. Interesting. Did you have anything else on him, or do you want it to move right along? I know we got no, not really. To. We should probably move on from him. He probably yeah, has some of the least amount of information of yeah. any of these. I He's not a very popular so deity in the in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about something with some pretty significant in real world ties. So this is Wreath Vane, I think is how we're settling on pronouncing it. However, that name was inspired by the fictional character Ruthven. Ruthven is the first depiction of the vampire figure as an aristocratic man possessed of an almost irresistible power over others, especially women. Ruthven has all of the by now stereotypical traits of the vampire. This is the quintessential vampire that we see today in most media, the cliche, the stereotypical one. This is the one that actually inspired Bram Stoker to write Dracula 80 years after Ruthven's story came out. Ruthven's story is one that we actually talked about for just a very, very brief moment on Last Zone of Truth. It is the 1819 publication, The Vampire, written by John William Polidori. So this is, for all intents and purposes, the OG. Yeah. Was this the first vampire in fiction? Absolutely not. 
but this is the first one that we can very clearly identify as doesn't like garlic, afraid of crosses, undead, drinks blood. Basically all of these traits that come from Romanian and Eastern European legends of vampires got recreated into this guy who becomes a figure for the rest of fictional history so far. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that story, The Vampire, because it is so formative to all of the other vampire tales that we tell today. That name, Ruthven, was taken from an earlier work by another author parodying a third author who that author was a former lover of. That author had written the 1819 publication Fragment of a Novel, which is another vampire-related tale. So basically, John William Polidori steals this name from another author who is using it to make fun of a third author. Nice. Pretty crazy. It's a real human centipede of uh, work. I couldn't have put it better myself. Real ass to mouth with these. That's right. That story, The Vampire, was actually sent to print without Polidori's consent. He did not know that it was going to get published, and it did without his approval. Then My fanfic, no! Right, And <laughs> but then it becomes this big sweeping success, and then it seems like he was going to capitalize on it because he started a second draft of the story where he changed up some details. He actually changed the name Lord Ruthven to be Lord Strongmore, so completely actually tried to like uncanonize the name, but that second version never made it to print. And the one that he didn't want to go out actually just became history. So what is the vampire story? Basically, we have a lead character called Aubrey who meets Lord Ruthven at a social event in England. They travel around Europe together until they arrive in Rome, where Aubrey discovers that Ruthven had seduced the daughter of a mutual acquaintance of the two of theirs. And Aubrey's like, oh, that's not cool. I'm going to stop hanging out with you. When they stop hanging out, Ruthven goes to Greece, and later a woman he was acquainted with in Greece shows up dead. Her throat's ripped open, blood gone. The town they were in says a vampire must have done it, but when Aubrey hears about it, he doesn't make the connection between Lord Ruthven and that murder. The pair eventually end up deciding that they want to travel again together. They start traveling again together. Lord Ruthven gets attacked by bandits, is killed, and then basically makes Aubrey promise for seemingly no reason to not talk about him and be silent. And Aubrey does this as a dying wish of Lord Ruthven, and Ruthven laughs himself to death. Then later back in London, Aubrey bumps into him again, and Ruthven's like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh. You can't tell anybody about me. I made your promise. And then ends up seducing Aubrey's sister. But Aubrey can't say anything to his sister because he's a, a man of virtue and doesn't oh, want to can't tell you what doesn't want to break your sister. Break his word. And on their wedding night, Aubrey's sister ends up dead and Ruthven disappears. And that's the end of the story. Credits roll. Anyway, sounds like a pretty classic vampire story, right? Other appearances, after the success of the story, just one year later, the character of Ruthwin was already being co-opted by other authors into their own plays and operas. Within eight years, the character ended up transcending the English language and was ported over into a German opera called Der Vampir. Then got a couple other plugs here before I'm done talking about him. 
We have a character in Vampire the Masquerade called Lambak Ruthven. So obviously in Vampire the Masquerade, that makes sense. He's actually appeared in Superman comics, Marvel comics, and even the Sandman. We see him pop up as a character in the BBC Dracula show. And there is an award called the Lord Ruthven Award, which is awarded every year by the Lord Ruthven Assembly, a bunch of vampire historians. And they award the Lord Ruthven Award to prominent vampire nonfiction, fiction, and other media. So you have winners like What We Do in the Shadows has won a Lord Ruthven Award. That's cool. Uh, True Blood has won a (laughs) Lord Ruthven Award. And just a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Is Twilight on that list? Okay, so here's the deal. Obviously, (laughs) the list is super fucked up because Twilight never makes an appearance. But what I will say is that clearly something is amiss because Anne Rice doesn't win a Prince Ruthven Award until 2017. So clearly something's up because I would think that is a person who would get some sort of recognition before 2017 for their contributions to vampire fiction. I guess. Yeah. All right, I'm done talking about Ruthven. Ruthven. He is the Blood Emperor. He's an infertile duke as well. And he is the third vampire to ever come into being. This one directly was a vampire, descended into the ranks of Hell's nobility, and now is an infernal duke. Vampires make packs with him to protect their souls in the event of their destruction. So it's difficult for these deities to kind of... They have worshippers, but like they don't get their souls that often, because Mm -hmm. if you think about how difficult it is to destroy a vampire and how long-lived vampires are because they're immortal, it's kind of like having a pool of worshippers that never cross over. So that's why there's all this fighting between him and Lorcan, because there's like not a ton of souls to get. Mm. Limited pool here. Yeah, limited pool. His only area of concern is vampires. Uh, (laughs) Single-focused man. Very focused on one thing. And doesn't even have, at least on, like, the wiki or that I can find, his one like, domains and shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Clearly not very popular to worship. Okay, well, this next one, I know you're going to have a lot more to talk about, and I have very little. So, I'm going to fly through Zura real quick. There is no in-real-life parallel. I looked for Zura, and all I found was a yoga studio, a residence hall at San Diego State University, which... According to the website, when I went in there, it seemed to have pretty good amenities and was... Thanks for checking for us. Hey, I do my homework. On the website was apparently named after an Aztec community. Could find no evidence of that on the internet that that community existed. Okay. So, who knows? They also do have storage for surfboards. We should send them the rest of this pack. (laughs) Surf's up. They can fucking get wet and we're also this is uh this also could be referencing a village in northern Afghanistan and uh, uh Apple, Apple, is this that yeah you heard me correctly I, I nailed it okay Afghanistan <laughs> all right what do you want what do you want to say about Zura uh well first of all in Pathfinder at least pronounced Zura like a zoo but she is a demon lord also known as the vampire queen she's worshipped by cannibals drow and vampires and her unholy symbol is a blood-red fanged skull embossed with runes. She's got way more titles than the other two. The Vampire Queen, Demon Lord of Cannibalism and Vampires, uh, She Who Savors Flesh, 
and her realm is Nesh in the Abyss. She's chaotic evil. Her areas of concern are blood, cannibalism, and vampires. And specifically, I found she has worshippers in the Mwangi. The Bekiar people worship her, as well as some of the halflings in the Mwangi. Her domains are chaos, death, evil, and madness, with blood, demon, murder, and undead as her subdomains. Favorite weapons, rapier. Her symbol is, again, that crimson fang skull rune. Vampire bat is her sacred animal, and sacred color is red. She's thought to be the first vampire in all of creation. She was an ancient Aslanti queen who possessed a lust for eternal life so great that she eventually resorted to cannibalism. It's thought that her ascension heralded the beginning of the Aslanti Empire's descent to decadence and destruction with the Age of Darkness. Her sinfulness was so great on her death by botched suicide, her soul was sent to the abyss where she immediately arose as a succubus vampire and her remaining family members all changed their names and went into hiding. Right before Earthfall, she ascended to Demon Lord status. Kind of her closest relationship is a foggy one is with Urgothoa. She may have worshipped Urgothoa in life as a demon lord. They sometimes are allies. They both have undeath as part of their domains, but at other times are at war because of the war over worshippers. She appears as a voluptuous woman with a dark gothic beauty that's almost impossible to resist, but this is just a form. She's actually a succubus. She doesn't have arms. She has like bat-like wings, blood red eyes, large fangs, talon feet. Her worship is where it gets interesting. So she has a ton of worshippers in Ustalov and actually in Cheliax, which I would have expected the other two to be more worshipped than Cheliax because of think. devil stuff. But the decadent cities in Cheliax, you'd think like maybe even Vire, mm-hmm. have cults to Zura there. Aslanti ruins uh, may attract Aslanti vampires who tend shrines to Zura. And then she's worshipped by the drow house Razavrain, maybe, in Sekmina. So she has like one of the drow noble houses is dedicated to her. But then the the Kobato tribe in the Sodden lands worship her. She's one of three feasters, three deities that they, they worship. And then in the Mwangi expanse, she's worshiped by the Bekiar and the halflings in the Kava lands. It's strange, like, you know, there's a whole thing in Uslav that you'll never touch, but there's a tribe of Zolgaths that <laughs> worship her. And she's granted them like strange, like bloodbending powers. Oh, cool. And then she's the most popular demon lord worshipped by orcs. She's normally worshipped by tribes of cannibals, and they're usually led by either a cleric of Zura or an actual orc vampire. Mm-hmm. One or the other. And then cultists of Urgothoa kind of mirror their relationship, the relationship the gods have. So when the gods are in conflict, they are in conflict with cults of Zura, when they're at peace or agreement, they're at peace or agreement. The undeath aspect, so when you think of Urgothel worship, there's kind of like two sects. There's the uh, there's all the undeath stuff, and then there's the hedonism stuff. So it tends to be that the undeath cults are the ones that actually have a relationship with the Zura cults, and then the hedonism ones kind of stay away. But that's what I got about Z- Well, actually, I do have a little bit more interesting like mechanically about Zura. I don't have yeah, any uh, I don't have any stat blocks, but she does have way more information about what she gives the divine prestige classes, so like the evangelist, the exalted, 
and the Sentinel. She actually gives them stuff. Her obedience is to drink some blood of a willing creature and allow the same creature to drink some of your own blood, after which you must meditate on the teachings of Zura. Alternatively, you can feed on the flesh of a creature of your own race until you're full. (laughs) Gain a plus four profane bonus on all saving throws against the supernatural abilities of undead creatures. So... For the Demoniac, you start with Zura's Favor, which gives you Death Watch, Spider Climb, and Vampiric Touch. Then you get Blood is Life, which allows you, even if you are living, to feed on the blood of the living and gain the benefits of Hero's Feast and Death Now for an hour. I love it. Then you get Vampirism. Once per day, you just add the Vampire Template to yourself, because one of Zura's tenants, she wants to have living worshippers as well. So she can have people do her bidding during the day. But she understands that one of her core things is the experience of being a vampire. So she gives that to her most devout living followers. And that she allows them to become a vampire for like without sacrificing their soul. Or without sacrificing themselves to undeath. That's so awesome. So you get the vampire template for 1d6 rounds plus your charisma bonus per day. Which is pretty cool. And then the evangelist gets... Similar stuff, they get like, again, vampire-themed magic. They get decadent hunger, which is another, like, you feed on the living thing as a living person, and you gain a plus two profane bonus on attack rolls, saving throws, and skill checks for ten minutes. And then you get the vampire queen's mystique. You take on the sensuous allure of the vampire queen and can bend others to your will with just a glance. You gain a plus four profane bonus to your charisma score and on will saving throws against mind-affecting effects. So permanent plus four charisma. And then the Sentinel, that's the kind of combat one. You get Vampire Flesh, basically. You get Bloodthirsty Savagery first, which is like you get to bite people. So you get a bite attack. And then if you crit, you consume their flesh and blood, dealing con damage. Then you get Vampire Flesh, which is basically just you like start to stitch together. You get Fast Healing 5 and DR10 Magic and Silver like a vampire would have. And if you're already a vampire, all that stuff increases by another 5. So it's pretty cool. And they all get like spells and so... She's the one that I think mechanically in game more people would follow because she actually has benefits you can use. Not me, man. I'm Team Lorkin all the way. Team Lorkin, baby. Yeah. I don't really know if he's a vampire or not. Maybe he's the second. No lore. Because like they're the three three gods of vampires worship. It says explicitly she is the first and Ruth Vey is the third. And it says nothing about the second. <laughs> so maybe he is the second, but I couldn't find it anywhere that he is. So I actually have two, like, relatively quick in the real world Zora things that oh, I, yeah, I don't think I heard from Steve. So Zora in Latin is actually is the seed of a plant, and it's also known as Christ's thorn. So that's just kind of a cool thing. So that's a, a, a plant, and it is the Christ thorn. It does what the plant like seed is called but it's in latin is zora and then also gintama which is a very popular anime one of the main characters goes well not happily goes by zora as in another character calls them that all the time and that character is also the leader of like swordsmen as well as has like a ton of enhanced strength enhanced speed enhanced like abilities but yeah that's that is what they call them on the show and I kind of swore Zura was one of the Daedric Lords in the Elder Scrolls. Maybe I'm thinking of like Azura or something. I could have swore yeah. there was something with... Sounds like it. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I knew the Gintama one. Even though I haven't watched that anime, I have, you just know. Heard, I have heard enough about it that that is one of those things that I picked up. And then the other one was just from like, I think an old, old art class that I took. They talked about the painting of Christ's thorn. And that was a, and so I looked it up to make sure I still remembered the right thing. But yeah. Well, that rocks. Thanks for sharing. I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay. I think it's time for questions. Haley, what do you got for us? All right. So I have one actually from the very beginning from Eric. Do you think Jeffrey Wright taking the role of Commissioner Gordon means that there won't be a live action watcher in them? See you. I don't know what that means. Cool. I didn't either. So I, I, I asked it. But oh, I um, oh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I do know what this means. Watcher is the dude, I think, from that cartoon that they did that was... Like alternate history stuff. Sounds like he's probably the dude who voiced it. I'm really reaching here. I think I'm. I think this is what this means. And Eric, no I'm gonna give you the best answer I can. Next question, please. Because <laughs> I am not confident. Hold on. We have a question moderator, and and she thought that that was like something we would fucking know. Because I don't, dude. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Steve knows so much more nerdy stuff than I do about like. Yeah, but Robert Pattinson is not playing that character. No, but mm-hmm. he, I, I'm sorry, but they're like, if they ask me anything about Star Wars right now, I'm gonna be like, all right, I will ask knows it. it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I have no idea. It's. I think it was fair to ask, but I truly don't know. I think it's the Watcher from the series that completely escapes me. But if Corey was here, she would probably know. Yeah, that's true. She always knows this kind of stuff. I got a in Carrion Crown. We've seen already seen several horror tropes. Which one do you feel could have been added to the AP instead of, for example, Lovecraftian horror? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I think book one should have been a serial killer. I had the same answer. Yeah, it well, not been. maybe not book one, but a serial killer. I yeah. think a slasher would have been would have made a ton of sense. I think you kind of you kind of hit that in five, I guess, but it's not like directed at the players, yeah. so it's yeah. not really a, it's not scary to the players. Um, I think book one would be a really good place for that. I think the later you get in a six book AP and the higher level the PCs are, the more difficult like one person being a slasher or a serial right. killer feels to pull off. It would work really well in book one. Yeah. And ghosts would have worked really well later because ghosts are, let's face it, ghosts and haunts are a little bit difficult for a level one party. Animated objects that have hardness. Yeah. A little bit difficult for a lo- like early level party. Boy, I'll tell you what was super fun was rolling to use my disrupt undead one d six positive energy for an entire book. Yeah. <laughs> but if that were say book five or book four, I would probably have a lot more tools in my toolbox to deal with that, or at least have the gold to buy something to deal with it. Right, and you could have got some really cool, like incorporeal creatures to deal like that you would have to deal with not just like all right well i had to make this a haunt because it would actually tpk the party otherwise or like oh the splatter man is a level seven wizard but he doesn't have his spell book so like he can cast like four shitty spells (laughs) all right i i now have two questions again even though that one was gone uh, i'm gonna skip over doing this next one because i think it'll lead to some discussion from steve um, so, <laughs> okay, so it's Twilight themes. Let's keep going. Yeah. So, Sir Newt has asked if you could give any god or goddess vampirism, who and why? Uh, give a deity of vampirism a uh, Calistra. Easy. Okay. She, I mean, the goddess of like 
lust and revenge. Of course. It, it just suits her so well. She already was probably worshipped by vampires in the setting. She's already, like, chaotic neutral, isn't she? Yep, she is. Boy, oh, if we're going, I, if we're going vampire pirates. I, oh, I, wait, I wait, wait. I think you mean vampires. Vampires. <laughs> I would have to say best mar. Mm. Okay, well, legitimately, I think that's good. Yeah. I'm sold already on vampires. Watch it be really problematic. <laughs> I didn't do any homework really on it. Hopefully not. Best Morrow would be fun. The answer, the correct answer, obviously, is Calistria. I absolutely agree with that. I couldn't choose better. But I do think it also would be fun to toss, like, you have the suave, aristocratic man, like, looking good. You could have, like, a vampiric Asmodeus. Like, the... That'd be the, interesting. The vampire devil fills that, like, suave, aristocratic role really well. Like, when we think of Ruthven in this IRL story of his, or Bram Stoker's Dracula, they're probably closer to... He's probably closer to that than, say, a Calistria or a Besmara, even though those would be better fit in the game. Yeah, I wonder... I guess what we're not thinking of is, like, how that would affect the god, because, like, if you give it to someone yeah. like Abadar, mm-hmm. the god of humanity, and inflict Abadar with vampirism, then how does that change the world? Yeah, you're... Things would change. For Things sure. would change, Things yeah. Would change. Yeah. Or even like even like Arastal, like the god of I family and yeah. I thought it was funny because Demise did add that he would choose Abadar so that you can literally suck people dry. Um <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> and figuratively. Alright, give give Demuth a hero point. That was funny. That's good. He has uh two questions. So uh, I'll go with the vampire one next. Uh mm-hmm. <laughs> barring Twilight, who is your favorite vampire? Barring Twilight is your favorite vampire? Yep. Ooh. Well, well I, can, I can answer this. Sure. Um, David from The Lost Boys, played by Kiefer Sutherland, is my favorite vampire in movies. And Laszlo is my favorite vampire from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. My favorite portrayal of a vampire in a comedic sense. And my favorite portrayal of a suave vampire. Okay. And Jackie Daytona is my favorite regular human bar- bartender. <laughs> Okay, so just to be clear, Twilight is off the table. Yes. That, okay. that, he did that on purpose. Yeah, so that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. I got to kick it to Underworld. That was a yeah. pretty formative series for me as uh, a youth. I really like uh, Celine in there. Marcus was cool. Yeah, he's only half. Well, he's one of the elders who then gets some of the lichen and blood in his mouth. He has some extra powers. Yeah, it's Celine, sure. What what the hell? I it's Celine from Underworld. She's so freaking cool. She is an awesome heroine. Who plays Marcus? I, oh, I, geez, I like always I, know. I recognize he's in, like, him. Heavy, he's in a ton of stuff. He's in like heavy makeup and stuff. Yeah, but he's like he's in Hot Fuzz and he's in all those Simon Pegg movies. Cause he's a British guy. You're thinking of... Or am I thinking of a different character? In, you're in, thinking of Lucian. I'm thinking of Lucian. Yes. You're right. You're right. Who is also cool. Nope. You're thinking of Victor. <laughs> Lucian's a little slimy dude. Victor is the elder. The, yeah, I was Victor say, he's an awesome. elder. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give an honorable mention to Victor. He's great. And the, the actor who portrays him is phenomenal in everything he does. You're right. He's in all those like Simon Pegg movies. He does a great job in all of them. All right. What else we got, Haley? We got another question from the Muth, actually. After the evil and neutral interludes, mm-hmm. what alignment will the interlude be between book five and six? <laughs> mm, the plant interlude. 
Let's not in alignment. alignment. Oh, but we're going to spend 35 episodes talking about this. No. <laughs> yeah, the chaotic interlude. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't... I, there's not going to be a good interlude. We don't have really any good characters anymore. Mm-hmm. Morally or just, you know... <laughs> Morally or just in general. <laughs> you want to call. Prey is good. And Air Bear's good, I believe. I think that's accurate. I think that's it. Is is Rune good? I think so. I guess most of the party is good right now. Oh, we are in the interlude. We're in the good interlude. No. Sorry. We're in the good guy interlude. I don't know that there's any good situation coming out of us. It's going to be HLP a, in, interlude in a, a light zone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's going to be but like, Danny Phantom. It's going to be the Danny Phantom style interlude. We're all going to go to the ethereal plane. I mean, the astral plane. The evil interludes, though, were not like a between the book thing. Mm-hmm. And then we had the Abaddon arc, which was just the only arc, happened which... because you got plane shifted and didn't want to give up your character, which it... only happened because you didn't tell us to shop in time. That actually yes. is true. Yes, like, that is also. Okay, true. did you guys go shopping? No. You didn't tell us to. Okay, cool. I'll throw a random encounter in there. And then that is why that is why that happened. So that was like. All right, because you don't get to shop for twenty more episodes, buttholes. <laughs> so that was kind of an accident. And then we did the neutral interlude, which was actually on purpose between the books. That one was on purpose. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I don't know what's next. We'll see. Who knows? We might not have an interlude. I mean, well, no, I think the I story think, is. Getting- I think we're just going to interlude from book six. It'll be like you know, book six. Here's the parts I kept, and then the rest of it's an interlude. <laughs> I mean, fair <laughs> enough. Like, if you're rewriting a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. I, I wouldn't say can... I'm rewriting, like, too much, but there's obviously, like, already big things in there that... Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just going to be a four-person party in book six, clearly. There's a whole fucking lich coming. And Sawyer's coming back. Another interlude around that. No. No, we're not doing two <laughs> Sawyer's. <laughs> It's the redemption interlude. All right, next question, please. There are no more questions. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I do have a fun question that I have uh, pulled from our repository of questions. Griffin, having seen both stat blocks, this question comes from 10 Lawn Gnomes. Eric, who would win in a fight, Ix Dad or Quinley? Quinley is a book five NPC, not a book three NPC. <laughs> Easy. Do you remember what about their levels were? I mean, I mean, it's not high. His dad was like a six-level werewolf bard, maybe. Mm-hmm. Quinley is like a combined ninth-level character that's also a vampire, like a six-level rogue and third-level fighter. Yeah, yeah. He has a silver weapon. Yeah, he doesn't do a lot of damage if he doesn't have a sneak attack, but he does damage that'll all cut through. I mean. Rickmit doesn't do a lot of damage either. At, at all. He just does inspire courage. Does Rickmit have any, like, did Rickmit have any, like, fun bard spells at all? Or did no. he just, no, I didn't think so. No, he was a very basic bard. Okay. The CR part of him was that he was a full werewolf. <laughs> it was like CR 7 or something. And, like, two of that is because he's a full werewolf. And the other five is because of his six bard levels. Jeez. I don't even think he had, like, fucking haste. Because oh. I feel like Haley would have used that when she was playing him. He didn't have a whole lot of anything. He had invisibility, but Quinley had potions of invisibility. That's true. Yeah. Pretty pretty tightly matched uh, when it comes to like things they can do, but also Quinley is three levels higher. <laughs> <laughs> and has a weapon that bypasses D- 
the DR, the other character. Listen, what is it? Like, spring attack McGee? Yeah. He doesn't even have to get close. Just pop back in and out. Yeah, that's an easy win for Quinley, I think. All right. Do we have any more questions, Haley? Anything come in? No. All right. I guess then I will pull another one from the repository. This comes from Sir Newt. Now that the characters are big damn heroes, he trademarked that. What sort of public works will eventually be named after them? In 100 years, will somebody be able to visit Rushmore's Matumbe Memorial Library? Will there be a Freya Plaza newly added to the Temple District, etc.? I think the Matumbe Library is easy. Sure. That's that makes sense to me. I think if we're talking Freya, it might be like a dedicated ward in a hospital because I know like a lot of companies and stuff do that. Yeah. Did you have any ideas, Griffin? Uh no, I think you're going to die in like relative ignominy. All right, Newt. Well, that answers that question. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think I mean, maybe the whole town of Ilmarsh will like have like a statue for you or something, but I think you're relatively hated there. Okay, well, like yeah, 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 yeah. I, Ignore I, all you're that. You're not really Let's heroes. Just say, okay, I know. I know we're not heroes. Like I know we're unappreciated. He's saying he's saying this as if you are, but like I don't in a hypothetical situation in which we are. Like, they might name, like, a pew in the courtroom after Lyra or something. I don't know. Like, what in Ravengrove, maybe? Ravengrove is small enough and you helped enough, I think. Maybe that fountain will be the Ickmer fountain. As they, as they rebuild the town hall or whatever, maybe they'll say, like, you know, these, we'll get four, these four brave heroes stop this building from burning down completely or whatever. Absolutely, man. Maybe they'll, like, in Ilmarsh, when they show off all of the jars that they used to be in, because they got, you know, brought back from being brains, that I'm sure that'll be in their museum, so... Oh, sure, yeah. They'll have an exhibit in the museum on, like, the destruction of Ilmarsh, featuring you all prominently. Like, how did the city go from, like, functioning cult to dysfunctional, most of the citizens are brains? Yeah. What you got, Haley? I just... I was thinking about my characters. Eclipse, probably a mental health facility. She's no. been through enough. No. Like, yeah. What, what have no, you ever seen a mental health she'll, facility she'll try named em. after like she'll a, try a, a um, anyways, somebody that should have been try a patient? She'll try them. Uh, That's like the Jeffrey Dahmer mental em. health facility. It's fine. Facility. So uh, <laughs> moving on from there. <laughs> children's section of the library. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the rune picture book section. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that sounds right. All the graphic novels are in the rune section. And Tulia would just have like, I don't know, some sort of maybe a magic item shop or, or curiosity shop where it's just like wacky magic items. Yeah, you're, it's going to be Goodwill. Uh-uh. It's going to be magical. The home for lost, shop, lost magical items. Anyways. It sounds like the Island of Misfit Toys to me. Emily and, and uh... I mean, Ickmer will probably have shit named after him. Yeah, Emily... He's a hero. He's a ki- He's a prince of wolves. Emily and Brooks just wrote in, uh, Ickmer's Tavern. That's... that's yeah, Zokar probably has, like, a picture of Ickmer up on his... Yeah, he, get, like, he gets the photo on the wall. Yeah, he's got the... When a famous person comes into the, the mom-and-pop pizza joint, and they, yeah. like, take a picture of him and put it on the wall. Emily and Brooks just wrote in again, Air Bear will, uh, take over Lasco. Yeah, I think I think like Air Bear will be like sure. a, a prominent member of Lasco. Anyway, yeah, you know when when we're not going to call it Air Bear Co. Though. Yeah, when we're really talking about important public works projects, um, yeah, I wasn't 
myself thinking about specific franchise the <laughs> opportunities, but yeah, sure. <laughs> well, look at Barrel and the Wendy's on. <laughs> <laughs> no, those are great answers. We got some good ones out here. Okay. I have a little bit of wrap up and housekeeping to do before we hit the final jab and head over to the Discorderly channel for the after party. So I'm going to start talking. Get your final jabs in if you don't have them in. Otherwise, maybe there's no final jab this week. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just entered the chat this year. Oh, fuck. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. Well, I'm done. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get absolutely eviscerated again this month by Corey. I can't Could wait. Anyone. All right. So I have some personal, very exciting news for where you guys can find me on cool projects. So I teased this a little while ago, but it was recently announced that I will be the fourth person joining the Southern Tomfoolery crew for their next season of STF and Friends. This is a Twitch show that they do where they play through one shots and modules with a bunch of people in the community around them to just, you know, have a good time on camera. It's really cool. They just are wrapping up Junkers Delight with some very awesome folks, and I'm very excited to join season two. What is this season that I'm going to be joining? Well, it's going to be four episodes long. Two of those are going to be the first of two heists scenarios that we're playing. It is the Great Grav Train Robbery, and the second has yet to be announced, but really looking forward to that. I'm going to share a lot more details as I have them, i.e. when the show is actually going to premiere, but I am playing the thief. I'm going to be an SRO, an operative. We rolled randomly for who got what pregen, so... It's, it's going to be good. But that aside, there's also a very special announcement that we're about to make. Chris smiling. It has to do. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Listen, we had a good thing going on a few years back. COVID hit, threw everything off. It's my supreme pleasure to announce the return of Poseidon's bounty. <laughs> Poseidon's bounty. Riptide. Riptide, baby! So, we're going back to the well of the fish sandwiches. I'm sure there has been so many great developments in fast food fish sandwiches in the last three years. I see Brooks and Chris in the chat. This is your formal notice. <laughs> formal notice? That w- notice he didn't say invitation. <laughs> that a week from today, your presence will be requested at Haley and Griffin's house, aka our recording studio. Or Poseidon's Bounty, Riptide. And that will debut in the feed two weeks from Monday. <laughs> so get ready. And if you like listening to TTRPG content and none of the other stupid bullshit that we do, go ahead and skip that episode. <laughs> because I promise you're not going to get it. There's not going to be a fucking thing about TTRPGs on that one. No one's going to talk about dice once. <laughs> Back by popular demand, some say. Anyway, time for the final jab. What do you got, Haley? It is not about Steve. Oh, no. And it's also not about Griffin. Oh. I know. Corey decided to be mean to me. (laughs) (laughs) And she wrote, Haley, thank you so much for bringing so much joy to our lives. Since she knows how much I love that. It makes me feel so not joyful. 
joyful noise in the studio. I tried to try to tell them that I don't count because I'm not on the show, and she said, "No, your voice is." Why don't you just bring joy to the world, Haley? Fuck off. End this, Steve. Okay. Well, <laughs> you can't till I do. I've been told that it's time to end it, so let's go. Griffin, is there anything you want to say to these folks before we hop on over into the Drunken Discordly channel for the after party? Give me that filet of fish. Give me that fish. <laughs> Later. <laughs> See you in two weeks. <laughs> So I got a haircut today. Thanks for noticing, by the way. You're wearing um, a hat. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Anyway. <laughs> hat since you got here. I am a pretty awkward person when I'm talking to complete strangers. Mm-hmm. And I always dread going to get my hair cut because of that. These people oh, cut the hair. Yeah. Thing. It's not like a dentist where you have an opportunity to be like, oh, mm-hmm. your whole hands in my mouth. Oh, something's in my mouth. Too bad. Um, but so I walk in. It's a guy I've never had cut my hair before. And he... He sees me as a mark right away. I'm sitting down. He goes, have you seen the Batman yet? First words out of his mouth. (laughs) And I was not wearing this shirt. I was wearing a a non-Batman shirt. He just knew. (laughs) So we start. So we start talking about the Batman a little bit. And then he like leans in real close to my ear. It starts whispering about the ending. Because he doesn't want the other oh, people he to hear, which I guess is nice for him, but like really I'm, weird for me. I'm conveniently really close to your ear because I'm cutting your hair. But like also the clippers were going at the same time. It's got the other side here. <laughs> so, so, so it was really awkward and really hard to hear him. See, I was really excited because one of the last hair. So I, I usually cut my hair myself, mm-hmm. except for. When I donate it, and then I always get it cleaned up by a professional because usually it's a disaster after that. Sure. Um, because it's just it's too hard to clean it up that kind of chop by yourself. But I can do normal maintenance. Anyways, last time I went to one though, um, I was really excited because when I booked it, you did have the option of doing a checkbox on whether or not you wanted to uh have conversation throughout the Oh my god, that's oh, amazing. Yeah. That's it was like the, so good. That's like the. That's like going to the dentist, and it's like we're a happy dentist. We'll just give you. We'll we'll give you happy juice. Sure. My dentist also does that. <laughs> of course, you go to the dentist and does that. Yeah, I, yo, but I just yo, tell, I, tell me where his dentist. But I do is. want to say, like, where was that? Down when, the street. Where was that <laughs> when we were younger? Like, I don't think any dentist did that when we were younger. Or my parents were like, "I'm not taking you to the dentist." That uh, that. Mm. Put you to or gives you laughing gas. No, mine. Mine was like it's like a good glass of wine. I was like, all right, yeah, oh just something, something, something to take the edge off, you know. They like, shouldn't be saying things like that to a regular consumer. But like, anyway, I'm, surp- I'm surprised. Great. Like, so I'm surprised hairdressers would want to work at a place that's like, hey. So, you know, you got a bunch of clients that are just going to say, fucking cut my hair and I don't want to talk to so you. So it went further because um, then when I went into or like was, I think, within 24 hours of actually going to the appointment, 
they said, like, we see you chose prefer, like, low to minimal communication, like, or whatever. Like, I don't want to talk throughout the whole thing. Click that. And so then they, she sent me, like, within 24 hours of my appointment. All right, because you chose that, uh, the game plan is to either do uh, some sort of, like, podcast or music. This is These are the options that I have. And, like, just listed a bunch of options. Huh. And I enjoyed that. That was great. It was fantastic. I, I love anyway. that. I love that when I got a tattoo, when I, when I got my, uh, my arm tattoo, they, they were kind of like, Hey, do you like horror movies? Cause we do. And we're, you know, you're going to be here for like six hours. So like, we could definitely talk, but like, I'm going to put on like a horror movie or something. And like, that rocks. cause it was like, you know, he would take breaks too. It's like, you're not going to go six hours and like fucking like cramp mm-hmm. the shit out of your arm. So he'd take breaks too. So we'd like, you know, we watched uh, we watched Overlord. Oh, a what a good tattoo! And, movie. Uh, and we watched. Well, yeah, it was great because like my tattoo is kind of like you know unbred and, yeah. and metally. So we watched Overlord and we watched something else. We watched like Leatherface or something. Oh, nice! <laughs> but, yeah, I can't remember what I walked into because I like came to. Yeah, you can't because it was before COVID, so you could like just come in and chill. All right, we are overdue to start oh, the yeah, episode, sorry. but I do want to do want to wrap up my my barber shop oh, by yeah. saying. <laughs> That the back half of my haircut was him then thoroughly explaining to me how he believes that it's going to be revealed in upcoming canon that Yoda is the big bad of the Star Wars franchise. All right, uh, let's start. Uh-oh. <laughs> he had a lot of detail. <laughs> a lot to say about this crackpot theory. <laughs>